Welcome to WCKS, where we can't keep silent about the good news found only in Jesus Christ. This podcast is committed to discussing the many different challenges life brings and what the Bible has to say about them, with the hope of edifying the body of Christ, the church, and bringing those that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior into a saving relationship with Him by God's grace and for His glory. I'm your host, Michael Russell, and I'm thankful that you have joined me. If you haven't yet, please click the follow button so that you will get all the latest posts. Now let's get into today's episode. Worldview Many of us may not know what a worldview is, or that we even hold to one. Maybe you are aware what worldview is, but you might not be able to simply articulate yours. According to Webster's Dictionary, a worldview is, quote, a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world, especially from a specific standpoint. Now, I want to simplify that by suggesting a worldview is the way you view the world your belief system, your perspectives, convictions, and so on about the world that you live in. Now, the reason this topic was so interesting to me that I was moved to do this episode was I came across an interview with George Barna posted on BibleGateway.com that discussed the latest results from a survey he organized and performed earlier this year. Now, Mr. Barna found that he really enjoyed statistics as he exited college, and this moved him to pursue further education and started research actually with the Disney Company many years ago, and later started the Barna Research Group and began working with Christian ministries throughout the country. He is the director of research at the Cultural Research Center and a professor at Arizona Christian University. He is also the founder of the Barna Group, a research company that has set the standard for understanding trends in American culture. Dr. Barna has written more than 50 books, including numerous award winners and New York Times bestsellers. He is also a fellow at the Townsend Institute, has taught at the graduate and undergraduate level, and has pastored two churches. Now, the interview was conducted by Truth and Liberty Coalition, And I found it fascinating and a bit surprising and even saddening as Barna laid out some of the trends that he has found specifically related to Christianity and her influence in the United States. Now, Barna and his team did a survey, and I'm going to be quoting from the BibleGateway.com interview and website. However, I want to encourage you, do a Google search and look that up, Uh, George Barna Biblical Worldview Interview, and read the whole interview. And there may even be a link to his um, survey that he did that you could read all of the different questions. So I quote, the, the survey was, quote, American Worldview Inventory 2020, where he asked folks 51 different questions about belief and behavior to measure worldview. Those questions are divided into eight categories. Number one, Bible, truth, and morality. Number two, value of life and family. Number three, 
God, creation, and history. Number four, human nature and character. Number five, lifestyle, behavior, and relationships. Number six, purpose and calling. Number seven, sin, salvation, and relationship with God. And number eight, faith practices. He goes on to make it clear that when it comes to worldviews, nobody has a pure worldview of any kind. Due to the amount of competing influences we all come in contact with, there is, quote, drawing upon perspectives from a variety of worldviews which shape our worldview. So he goes on and explains that, quote, the way we categorize someone as having a worldview is based on them answering 80% or more of the belief questions and 80% or more of the behavior questions in ways that are consistent with biblical teaching. Close quote. So to restate it, the survey scientifically analyzes the depth of a person's biblical worldview based upon the responses of these 51 questions that are generally broke into questions related to belief and questions related to behavior and how they relate and line up with what the Bible has to say about those same very questions. So if they score high enough, then they have a high biblical worldview. And the lower they score, the lesser of a biblical worldview they have. And he rightly points out that none of us have a pure worldview, despite the fact that we all have a worldview. <laughs> there are so many influences that shape our belief system, and it causes there to be a lack of purity of any given positional worldview. Now, I want you to think for a moment. In the world that we live in today, especially in 2020, with all the pandemic and lockdowns and civil unrest and rioting, especially here in America, but it's happening, I think, throughout the world, we also live in, a, in the most technologically heavy time ever in history. We have literally at our fingertips the world at a glance. You have a cell phone, and you are attached to that with social media, and you have instant access to news and commentary, there's search engines of every sort. We have access to information instantaneously. And all that plays into shaping our worldview. Simply put, what are you listening to? What are you watching? I'll say it maybe in a different way. What are you feeding upon? What are you consuming? Okay, Even that word consuming, consumerism, is a thing. And most of us are... Sadly to say, as scripture says, are like sheep. We simply kind of ingest things and kind of go with the flow. So there's a lot to think about as I start off with this podcast. Just in this short little introductory portion of the interview, we see quite a bit of things that we need to start wrestling with here. And I hope I'm, I'm holding your attention and you're engaged here as we get further into this. And before we go further into the actual interview, I want to level set us Christians for a moment to recognize and to be brought back and centered on the fact that God is in control. The God of the Bible is the God of the universe, the all-powerful, 
all-knowing, ever-present, infinite, not-changing God. And I want to just bring a couple passages to bear upon those facts, those attributes of the God of the Bible. He's all-knowing. Let's listen to Psalm 139.4. It says, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Or Romans chapter 1, verse 33 and 34, it says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Yes, he is all-knowing, far smarter and greater and wiser than us. And let's look at some passages about his power. Isaiah 46.10 says, Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Or Jeremiah 32.17, Oh, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Or Job 42.2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Yes, God is indeed all-powerful. And he is also omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. Proverbs 15.3 reminds us, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Or Psalm 139.7-10, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. Yeah, God is omnipresent. And he is infinite and eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we can go on and on, passage after passage. But the point is, I want to encourage you, listener. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you are born again, saved by grace, you have hope in the God of the universe. You are a child of the God of the universe. And I want to encourage those that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. He's waiting. Recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Turn away from that sin. Confess it to the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon him to be saved. And if you believe in your heart that Jesus is God and confess with your tongue, that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. And I do want to know, there's comments in some of these podcast options. Put a comment in there. I'd love to hear from you. With that, let's get back to the interview and some observations. Quoting again from thebiblegateway.com, they ask the first question. Quote, according to this survey... The number of American adults holding a biblical worldview has declined by 50% over the past quarter century. To what do you attribute that? Close quote. Now, again, I want to be candid with you. If you've lived in America over the past 30, 40, 50 plus years, as I have, 
You know that Christian influence and the foundations of America have eroded away and have continuously, aggressively been attacked over these many years. So this decline should not be a surprise to us. That said, it can also be an indictment against the church. Where has the church been in America? We have seen even churches slide into a moral decline. Liberal interpretations of scripture, sexual immorality, and on and on and on we go. And that's in the church. That's in the leadership of churches. So it isn't just the secular, the non-religious part of the United States that's sliding further and further into moral and ethical decline. Rather, it's also the church. And that's the point of this interview, is to bring, a be- bring to bear those facts here. Again, I want to remind us from Scripture, an encouraging passage of Scripture from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians, who had a whole religious system, Judaism, that was bound up in some legalism in other areas. And no, no, this is not a diss on Judaism and their, their legalism. The Christian church has a bunch of legalism of their own that we need to deal with. However, the first chapter, the writer of Hebrews spends really trying to redevelop and reiterate who Jesus is, God the Son, who took on flesh and became our sacrificial lamb, dying on the cross to pay the debt of sin. And he spends a whole chapter trying to remind the, the, Christian, the Jewish Christians of those facts. And then we start in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and he says a very profound passage. Verse 1 says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. What a powerful passage. And more frightening is that word, drift. Because if we, if we really think about it, drifting is something we, we do and we don't even feel it. We don't even recognize it. You're driving in the car down the road and thank the Lord for the little dots in the middle of the lanes, between the lanes. So if you begin to drift into that lane, you, you run up over those dots and it rattles your car a little bit and scares you and you come to your senses. You pay attention and you correct yourself. You swerve or gently maneuver back into your lane. You don't drift back into your lane. You actually actively steer back into your lane. I remember as a child, I I grew up in Southern California on the west coast of the United States, and I wasn't too far from the beach. So on occasion, on the weekends and such, we'd go down to the beach with the family and we'd play in the water. And our parents would always say, make sure you keep an eye on us. They being sitting on the blanket line of the the beach, up on the beach, up on on the sand, and keep an eye on us so that we, we have you in front of us. And more often than not, there'd be some sort of current you know, going parallel to the shoreline. And as you're, you're playing in the waves and you jump up as the wave comes and the wave kind of lifts your body up off the sand and then drops you back down, you don't feel it, but the, the current slowly drifts you one way or the other. And it doesn't take three to five minutes and you look up to check where your parents are and you see nobody, of uh, no familiar face. By the time you actually locate where they are, 
you realize you've drifted 50 to 100 yards down the down the shoreline, depending on how you know rapid the current is moving. The point is, though, the drifting. If we do not keep our eyes firmly fixed on the truth, when the counterfeit comes, it may be easy for us to drift and follow that. When we're talking about worldview, we're talking about all of these influences, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, news feeds, uh, you know, whatever it is, you read them, even podcasts, even podcasts. And I, and I covet you guys prayer for this podcast ministry. And I, I ask you to test all that I have said with scripture. And that's my goal is to bring scripture to bear when it comes to my opinion about some event or some circumstance that promotes the particular episode. In this case, Christian biblical worldview in America. So I want to bring to bear a truth from scripture, which is the truth, to allow us to then steer, correct, possibly, ourselves to get back on track with a biblical worldview. And that could be very much a challenge for some of us. Now, it's going to get a little deeper here as we get back into the interview. Again, I'm going to be quoting from the interview itself. Barna says, now Now the question was, to what do you owe the decline, 50% decline from 25 years ago? And his response is, quote, it is due to a combination of factors. Two decades ago, I found that a person's worldview begins developing between 15 and 18 months of age and is almost fully formed by age 13 and then is expanded and refined until their mid to late 20s. So children are critically important in the study and transmission of worldview, end quote. Now, I want, you to, I want you to sit on that for a minute, especially you parents. When you think about this statement, that a person's worldview begins developing between 15 and 18 months, who usually wields the most influence over that child? Clearly, parents do. Now, I get it. We live in a, in a world, in a nation that sees quite a bit of divorce, sees uh, even you know, significant drug addiction and abuse from parents, and possibly even death, or, or being, you know, children being taken away and put into foster care and so on and so forth. So, though the perfect implementation of influence would come from the biological parents, ultimately it comes from parent figures, whether it be the parents, uh, pseudo-parents like step-parents step or what have you, foster parents, what have you, or grandparents, or it could even go beyond that. It could be a youth group or teachers or, or churches, pastors, uh, and then, you know, figure out the circle that emulates out further and further. But the, the, the desired influencer would be the parents. So I think, think about my own life. I have two grandchildren that are 19 months right now. 
and my children have raised them by God's grace, husband and wife, same parents, raising the two grandbabies, two, two different children of mine, two different families, two different grandchildren. But I recognize the challenges that parenting brings. My wife and I have a blended family. She has two children. I have three. We had five, five, and they ranged from probably three years old up to nine or four up to a, a ten, something to that effect, when we came together in marriage and, and started our family. And raising them as, as a Christian couple, raising them was hard. And there was a lot of legalism. <laughs> Let's be honest. You don't know exactly what to do, frankly, either because you're not being taught it well in your church circumstance, or you yourself are not digging into the scriptures and reading it for yourself, which is what we are commanded in scripture to do. Study to show yourself approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what scripture tells us. Test all things and hold fast to that which is good. Test all things to scripture. This is what the world is saying. Is that lining up with Scripture? This is what the world tells us to do. Is that lining up with Scripture? Well, it's not that easy, Mike. It's not that easy to find those things. You're right. You're right. It's like finding gold. It's like panning for gold. If it was easy, not only would everyone do it, we'd all be rich. We'd know exactly how to do it. We'd figure it out, go dig it up, and there it is. But even the best of the prospectors out there Get a, they know an idea of where to go, and they are probably more successful than not, uh, more successful than we are, but they fail a lot more than they succeed. So it is with parenting. And if there's ever a time, ladies and gentlemen, if there's ever a time that we need to be praying, it's now. We live in 2020, and I this is the most unique way that I could say this, I mean, when have we ever been able to say something like the crazy state that we're in and that mean the same thing to everyone in the whole wide world? This is a pandemic and we live in such a technological time. Everyone is aware of it and everyone's going through it at the same time. Now, granted, some nations may not be fighting and rioting and burning their cities down, like some of the states here in the United States. But the, the crazy is crazy everywhere. And then to add to that, raising children. And the crazy that happens just in that. And that's unique to your circumstance. And how do you do that? And at and the same time, how do, you, how do you work and then get home in time? I live in California. Hour-plus commutes are, are a normal thing, sadly to say. So that's a one to three to four hours taken out of your day on top of your eight or nine hour workday or 10 hours or what have you. And then you got to go home and help with the homework and and deal with the diapers and, you know, deal with all that family life. And as a Christian, that's what you're called to do. And do it well, do it un, as unto the Lord. I get it. This is hard. We need to pray like no other. We need to pray, especially in such a time as this. 
Pray for parents. Pray for your spouses. Pray for your children, definitely. Pray for forgiveness if you've messed up. Pray for the teachers and the educators. Pray for the nation. Pray for the presidents, the governors, the mayors. Even if you don't agree with them, Scripture tells us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and following in the Sermon on the Mount. Excuse me, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your enemies or uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That you may be children of your father in heaven. Interesting. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than any others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. What a passage. Let's be, un- let's be very clear. As a human, this side of heaven, in our own flesh, we will not be perfect. But in Christ, we are perfect because he is perfect. Rest in that. Rest in that. Doesn't mean we don't strive to be holy and sanctified. But recognize when God sees us, he sees Christ. Those of us that are in Christ. Let's turn back to the interview. Barna continues and references several passages from, of Scripture that drive home the idea of, quote, it's important of families to invest in the development of their children's worldview. And he states, quote, but we found that few American parents accept that responsibility these days. Part of the challenge is that parents don't think about worldview development. And another element is that parents are ill-equipped to engage in such a process. In fact, just 5% of the parents of children aged 5 through 13 have a biblical worldview. They are clearly handicapped in the development process because you cannot give what you do not have. End quote. Folks, we can't simply get angry at Barna and say, he doesn't know me. How does he know what I, what I know and what I don't know or how I'm raising my children? Brothers and sisters, let's take this to the Lord. Examine your own heart. Let's be honest, we have all failed. But where have you failed? Ask the Lord to reveal to you where you may have not done a good job in this area, raising your kids up in the way they should go. And by God's grace, repent. Lord, forgive me for this. Forgive me. And then how, Lord, do I reconcile this? How do I change this? Let's be honest. The older your child gets, the harder it becomes, especially if they know who you are and you're not acting it. So it starts with you. How do you live your life? It doesn't, it doesn't result in, oh, man, I got to turn around and become a nag and just demand, demand and throw down the law. That isn't what God calls us to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Go back to Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and read through what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude. It keeps no records of wrong. Just read through those. Remind yourself. Remember, you go back and remind yourself lest you drift. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that he strengthens us to begin to act and live like Christ. It's not our own power so that we can't boast. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it is a bit of a heart blow, a gut blow, as I read through some of this evidence. We need to repent if we're in error with heartfelt supplication. Supplication is this idea of praying in such a way that you're praying over and over, begging God for relief, begging God. And begging God to intervene and give you wisdom, give you discernment, give you ability. All that we need to better live and teach the Bible to bring about a biblical worldview to others, not just our children. As the Apostle Peter warns us in his first letter, 1 Peter 5, 8-11, he says, Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What a passage. What a passage. And I hope a passage of encouragement. Another revealing statistic Barna is asked about was if there were any, quote, correlations between the segments and people's ages or geography. So during the survey, was there any correlation he could come up with? And he responded, the younger a person is, the less likely they are to possess a biblical worldview, which I think we discussed that with the decline in our country. He goes on, the percentages drop from 9% among those 50 or older to 5% among those 30 to 49, and just 2% among people 18 to 29. Regionally, it is as you would expect. People in the West and Northeast have the lowest incident of a biblical worldview, and people in the South and Midwest are higher, have a higher biblical worldview. When he's questioned about why the 2% among young people, he simply speculates due to the fact that his survey didn't dig into that level of information. But he made one suggestion, quote, the dominant influencing agents, media, parents, government, school, and peers, do not seek to develop a biblical worldview among those they influence. Hmm. Again, I, th I think some of this 
does not shock us, but yet it is sobering because it's reminding us. We used to have prayer in school when I was a kid. Now, granted, I went to Catholic school, but even in the public school, we had a prayer in school. That's gone. So there's no no religious kind of influence there. Definitely no Bible study. And they took out all the religious books and all that stuff. But even in my Christian school, over the course of time, my Catholic school, though we had mass and though, though we had things that drew us to a Christian thing, it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I actually came to true faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Protestant. However, even Catholics can come to having a saving faith in Jesus Christ, being born again. But it wasn't until my early 20s that God, by grace, saved me. So why the 2% of the young people? Well, because the influences that they are gaining this worldview from are influences that, by and large, are not Christian. And yes, I know it said media, parents, government, school, and peers— We know the government, we know the media, we know the schools and peers are more than likely not Christian. But I'm challenging you parents, the most influential of the group. I'm challenging you, I'm begging you, get on your knees, let's pray together, let's pray together. Again, this is not a lost cause, it is a steeper hill but not a lost cause. I will continue to pray for every parent that listens to this podcast. I pray that God would move in your heart, quicken your heart, draw you back to God. And if you're already walking with the Lord, praise the Lord. Walk deeper, closer, tighter together with your Savior. I want to leave us with the last passage From Proverbs chapter 3, it has within it uh, verses 5 and 6 are some very famous words of encouragement, but I'm going to read the whole uh, Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1 through 12. It says, My son, do not forget... uh, Let me start again. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your hearts keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshing to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary, weary, of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I want to thank you for joining me for today's podcast, and I pray that you were encouraged and challenged by what you heard. I invite you back next time and remind you to click the follow button 
so that you'll be notified when I post the next podcast. Please share this with others and pray for this ministry, parents and children, educators, pastors, the church, our leaders, our nation, and this world. Be blessed.